You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on a beautiful Monday morning as we prepare for yet another week of absolutely nothing happening in Parliament. Things have got so bad in Westminster that Prime Minister Theresa May is now doing everything she can to clog up the House of Commons, apparently with meaningless legislation, so that she can avoid a fatal Queen's speech. So much so that this parliamentary session could become the longest in post-war history. Apparently what she's frightened of is actually bringing in a Queen's speech, bringing in some new legislation and then not getting it passed, which would mean curtains for Theresa May. And isn't it good to see the Labour Party joining in with some meaningless activity of their own? The introduction of a bill this week calling for the nation to declare a climate emergency. Uh, This is the bright idea of Shadow Business Secretary Rebecca Long-Bailey. That'll go well with their policy of opening up some new coal miners then, won't it? For heaven's sake. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll be talking about fracking, one of the cleanest and most ecologically sound sources of energy. After Natasha Engel quit her job as fracking czar in the government blaming the climate change protesters. She says the government's listening to all the wrong people. She's listening to the people that don't have any answers. They just have questions. 0344 499 First though, we're going to examine just why police forces all over the country are telling rape victims that they must provide full access to the messages and photographs on their phones or risk the cases being dropped altogether. Will it expand to other crime? Will they ask you if they can access your phone every time they make an arrest? And is it in fact a gross invasion of privacy or a sense development to use technology as a weapon for evidence. We do, after all, live in a world where everything that is in your life or used in your life is on your phone in some way, shape or form. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So Natasha Engel uh, was appointed shale gas commissioner by the energy minister uh, back in uh, seven months ago or thereabouts. The former Labour MP uh, says the government has caved into pressure from campaign groups and has instituted a de facto ban on extraction. We know uh, from a caller that we had earlier this morning from Lorraine up in North Yorkshire that there are fracking businesses up there that want to get on with it. There are people demanding jobs that want to get those jobs. There are people demanding commerce, which is what they need in that part of the world, where the average wage apparently is £18,000. But it's not happening uh, because the government is still 
dragging its heels and not really allowing the fracking which companies want to do to go ahead. There's a lot of scaremongering going on. There's a lot of people who say it's dangerous. American documentaries are out there on YouTube in which they say that, you know, flames come out of the water taps, that uh, water is contaminated, that people suffer all manner of ill health. Let's get at the truth and let's get at the actual facts. Let's talk to Malcolm Grimston, Honorary Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Energy Policy and Technology at Imperial College. Malcolm, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon. Thanks very much for joining us. You know, this has become like everything else in this world, a sort of political football, hasn't it, fracking? If you're for fracking, you're obviously some kind of scandal-ridden right-wing maniac who wants to ruin everybody's life. And if you're against it, then you're a clean, good, fun person who is not likely to be invited round for Christmas. Yes, I think that's that's uh, not an unfair uh, uh, assessment of, of where we are, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do have... Uh, my own feeling on it for some time has been that the issues about these so-called earthquakes, which are, roughly speaking, like a heavy lorry going past the front door. We use the word earthquake, but that's really not what we're talking about. I think that fear probably has been exaggerated. I think some of the things about methane in water catching fire has just been debunked entirely at the Mm. moment. I think there's a wider issue here. I mean, we used to be a gas gas exporter when the North Sea was really delivering for about 10 years from... Uh, 1994 onwards, we exported gas. Uh, we're now sorry, a bit late on that, but but we're now importing huge amounts of gas. We need to use large amounts of gas, and the debate is largely around is the local disruption, which is negative, worth the benefit of us not having to spend considerable amounts of money overseas, something like seven billion a year at the moment, import buying gas. Uh, and gas is going to be important for our energy for the foreseeable future. When the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't out, it's basically gas that we use to generate the electricity to fill that gap. So I, I, I must say I'm not 100% in either way with, with mm. this. I think on balance it probably is worth looking at the reserve and, and developing it. But in longer term, we've got to wean ourselves off fossil fuels. And if this ties us into a very long-term fossil fuel future, then we need to be careful about it. Sure. So, I mean, how would you see fracking then in the overall kind of picture because we were learning an awful lot last week and the week before thanks to you might say the climate change activists making us talk about it but the fact that we haven't used i think we hadn't used coal to generate any electricity uh, for the longest period of time since um back in the i don't know the 50s or something like that um so earlier than that yeah back to the beginning of the industrial revolution right okay so so i mean you know we're moving away from from coal as a fossil fuel presumably um we're moving away from um oil as well in terms of trying to to power our our energy that we have in our homes from that um so does fracking have a role at all for you then yeah i mean the interesting thing is if we look at the coal produces about twice as much a bit more twice as much uh, in terms of greenhouse gases per unit of electricity delivered as gas does Mm. so gas is considerably cleaner than coal and actually the country which has done most in the last 10 years to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions ironically is the united states Mm. Because although they're very sceptical about climate change, they have seen a huge switch from coal towards fracked gas because of the conventional the uh, uh, fracking revolution in the right. United States. And that has resulted in very significant reductions in their greenhouse gas emissions. Now, those are kind of a one-off advantage, but we do need to compare that, say, with Germany, where Germany's emissions have hardly moved for, for 10 or 15 years because they remain committed to their brown coal mines and they're, they're destroying cathedrals and villages and all sorts to, to mine more brown coal. Um, and from that point of view, it's not a black and white issue on the environmental uh, stand at all. Now, that being said, as you rightly say, the UK is coming very near to the end of the coal era. We had 90 hours without using coal at all for electricity uh, last week. Um, 
And so we're more or less already at the point where we can't switch from coal to gas anymore because we've hardly got any more coal. Mm. But clearly, if you import gas from overseas, some of it leaks while it's coming across. You have to use fuel actually to transport it. Uh, a lot of it comes in through liquefied natural gas, so you use energy liquefying it, use energy in the massive great tankers coming into Milford Haven and other places, and then energy in transporting it through the grid. So there are clearly some benefits if you can generate that gas or, or mine that gas at home rather than relying on these very long uh, supply uh, uh, circuits. And so there are some environmental benefits in using homegrown gas at the moment, as long as that doesn't then become an industry which uh, damages our future uh, incentives to move away from fossil fuels altogether. But as far as Natasha Engel is concerned, this government is not minded really to pr- pr- promote and or to proceed with the development, of, it would seem, of, of, of any kind of shale gas fracking because uh, she's saying they're listening to all the wrong people and they're kind of reluctant to be on the wrong side of the climate change argument. Well, I think this is symptomatic of a much wider issue, that we've kind of, uh, expertise and science is now almost poo-pooed. We've yeah. had statements about, you know, nobody you know, nobody believes in experts anymore. But unless you do at some point take a cool assessment of the reality rather than just uh, following the, 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 the loudest and the latest voice to, to shout about it. Now, obviously, the local concerns, and there are local concerns in many of these communities, have to be taken very seriously uh, and shouldn't be ignored. But at the same time... But there are two sets uh, of local concerns, Mark, Malcolm. There are those who, who want... And we had a caller this morning who said, you know, we need the jobs up here. We don't want these climate protesters coming in from outside of our area telling us that we don't want it. Indeed, and it goes back to your initial statement that I think many communities have felt very nervous expressing that because they then get shouted down as, as not caring for their local community or whatever. And if they're becoming more emboldened, it may happen to help to, to balance the uh, debate. But I think, uh, even given that it doesn't seem to be bandwidth in government to think about anything but a single issue at the moment, mm. I think we do at some point need to reintroduce solid science, which sometimes gives you counterintuitive results, mm. like, for example, there are environmental benefits to fracking as well as environmental uh, challenges because I think the, the the very very black and white way of looking at things at the moment doesn't work because the world is an awful lot more complex and certainly the world of energy is an awful lot more complex. Yeah quite I mean I'm reading this morning lots of different reports about Natasha Engel's departure I'm not expecting you to be uh, you know an expert on why she left or anything like that but apparently Greenpeace are going to publish an investigation they say into her communication with two of Britain's biggest shale gas firms uh, which are presumably Presumably, we'll, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have them attempting to show that there was some kind of collusion going on between uh, the government and these, and these companies. I mean, presumably, these companies will eventually just pull out of Britain if, in fact, they can't proceed with the work they want to do. Well, I think that's right. I mean, it's quite, you know, advisors have to act with transparency and with honesty. Yeah. And if there is any truth in, in, in claims, and I have no idea uh, what the claims are, let alone whether there's any truth in them. No, indeed. Um, then, then that has to be taken into account. But equivalently, you would expect someone who is tasked by the government to look at this to develop relationships with the firms who might do it. Yeah. it that's an absolute blindingly obvious, it seems to me, mm. that you have to you know, discuss it with all sides of the uh, issue. And I think if her perception is that at the moment the government is only listening to one side, and I mean I think what she said is that the the level of that they're setting these these sort of minor earth tremors is in effect going you know it's it's impossible to meet those. So if that's the government's view, the government should say, yeah. oh, well, we're not going to do this anymore and stop wasting people's time. But I think there would be problems with that. 
Yes, no, I mean, she apparently says that the, the, the limit um, or the, the lowest limit of, of the Richter scale that they measure in terms of uh, whether the, the fracking is causing these earthquakes is 0.5 on the Richter scale, whereas in America, apparently in some places, it has to register as high as 4.5 before it's thought to be caused by fracking. Yeah, and when you bear in mind the difference between 0.5 and 4.5 is a factor of a thousand, because this yeah. is what they call a log scale. So uh, a scale of t- a point of two is ten times as great as one. You can see just how enormously conservative those estimate those. Um, levels are in the UK. Now, regulation is important. Making sure that things don't get out of control is extremely important. But when it takes you to that level, that you know, to 0.5, you, you, you quite frankly might not even feel it mm. in, some, in some circumstances, um, then that is tantamount to saying we do not want this industry to happen. Now, if that is the government's view, the government should come out with that and state, therefore, that we are going to remain dependent on imported uh, gas uh, for the future, right. and that's going to affect our balance of payments and money that we could otherwise be spending on services. If that's the government's view, that's a perfectly legitimate yeah. view, and they should say so. But by killing industries expensively by regulation and wasting resources on all sides doesn't seem to me to be right. No, indeed. And also, um, it leaves us open, does it not, to the vagaries of, of, of other countries and other suppliers charging us whatever they want to charge us for our energy. Um, and if we can make our own, then clearly that would be better. I mean, that's true. We should, we should bear in mind that most of the major economies in the world are energy importers. Uh, Canada is the big exporter. Russia exports a huge amount. Mm. Um, but most of the rest of them, including you know, Europe as a whole, has been a net energy importer for a long time. And yeah, it is the fact that countries that have energy tend to want to sell it. And so uh, there's not really a great uh, incentive on them very often to, to cut off supplies, mm. as it were. So I think that point can be exaggerated. But it is clearly the case that if we have, you know, if we're able to, uh, I'm almost tempted to use a phrase, take back control of our gas <laughs> supplies. Because um, uh, I say, we did have these enormous reserves in the North Sea for a long time, and they are becoming yeah. depleted very, very rapidly. I don't know, and, and this one thing is we just don't know what the scale is for fracking in the UK. In the States, they have massive areas where nobody lives, mm. where the local environmental issues or the, the local human issues are clearly not as serious. We don't have those wide open spaces in the UK, so we may find that, practically speaking, fracking is limited over yeah. here. But until we know that, we can't then start making sensible preparations for where we might be going mm. in a future where, let's say, if we're going to be committed to uh, solar and, and wind, then we are inevitably going to commit, be committed to large amounts of gas as well because uh, the, 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 the fact that you know, wind and solar very often don't come when, when we want the electricity. Quite. And so I was going to ask you just finally as well, Malcolm, about these you know concerns about uh, that people have. I've got a couple of tweets that I've had this morning um, uh, from people who say things like the drilling teams all suffer health issues, the residents suffer health issues, the property values are blighted. I mean, you've more or less kind of explained away that in America there's lots of areas where, where there isn't any uh, inhabitation, if you like, or habitation. But are you saying that, that those... Worries are are true then that there are issues about health and and uh... well with, with there's something like two million fracking wells globally which have been put in over the course of the thirty or forty years that we've been doing this. Mm. This is not a new business by any means. Unsurprisingly, with some of those, they've made a pig's ear with them, and there have been issues. But with the state of knowledge globally, as far as I'm aware, the issues around the health of workers and health of the local environment are are really not things that I personally would worry about. House prices are a different matter, obviously, and that's a social thing, and that will depend to an extent, for example, on the debate uh, if. 
if the debate takes off claiming there are health consequences, then whether or not there are, that's likely to affect house prices. So I think that might be a different uh, type of issue, uh, as it were. But uh, nobody is ever going to claim that any way of making energy is is entirely uh, problem-free. And uh, when we look at the devastation of areas of, of, of China, for example, in producing the minerals that are needed for the batteries that we use in, in wind generators, the uh, amount of material needed for batteries, for solar panels. These are huge environmental problems that, that are associated with those industries. Um, and uh, yeah, there is no perfect way of doing this. But I think what we do know is that, that those countries in the world which seriously struggle for energy, um, and we see it in the fact of their childhood mortality rates, their life expectancies, all sorts of things. Energy is right at the heart of, of, a, of a good human life. Uh, and uh, at the moment, there are, there are so many challenges in the world that to simply write off anyone because he has a problem hmm. uh, is going to lead us down some, some very serious... Well, it is. I mean, you've got the Labour Party on Wednesday declaring a climate emergency, apparently, uh, having been inspired uh, by the events of last week. And uh, they're going to be telling us that they're going to sign up, or they want to sign up, for some kind of zero uh, net zero carbon emissions policy, um, which most scientists, I would say, think is, uh, is impossible. We can go a long way. It is. It becomes enormously expensive and technically difficult. We could probably start getting up towards sixty or seventy percent. It mm. seems to me. Yeah. We've got. You know, nuclear is is seeing something of a world revival, and that's contributing very significantly to low carbon in a lot of countries. Renewables are stepping forward in, in a number of countries, and certainly the problems with storage don't begin to hit till you get quite a bit of renewable on the system. But squeezing that last bit out then becomes vastly, vastly difficult, because at that point, and we're seeing it, for example, in California at the moment, they have a huge amount of solar power, so much that around the early afternoon now, uh, on a very sunny day, they can... They can provide all the electricity in the state of California from solar. So, And of course, overnight, they produce nothing from solar. So there's hardly any point at all in putting more solar panels in in California because they'd just be competing with existing solar panels mm. at, uh, when the energy is coming and not producing anything when it's not. So is there is there a sort of finite number of solar panels? I mean, for example, I mean, I've, I've, I've read if you covered the entire Sahara Desert in solar panels, you could generate enough uh, uh, energy for the entire continent of Europe. But it's not about the energy, it's about the power. In other words, it's when the energy comes. Yeah. Uh, so you can't during store night, it. Du yeah, during night time in the Sahara Desert, if you did cover the Sahara Desert with solar panels, you would produce no electricity whatsoever. Right. And storage, either by pump storage or battery. And they, we talk about a battery revolution. The United States had a very good year last year. They've now reached an amount of battery capacity that would cover 14 seconds of the U.S. total electricity demand. Right. Uh, I mean, this is the sort of scale of issue that we're talking about. And practically speaking, uh, we are going to need a very large amount of what they call firm or, or dispatchable electricity capacity, which will come when you need it. Mm. And at the moment, that is basically nuclear, coal or gas. And globally, actually, coal is continuing to increase at a frightening rate, particularly in China and India. Yes. Uh, although we've, Europe largely, is, with the exception of Germany, is moving away from mm. it. Poland is um, still pretty big on coal, though, isn't it? Poland is, yes, indeed. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it has a policy to try and reduce that dependence. Mm. But, uh, and, and, of course, it's not just greenhouse gases there. The air quality issues around burning coal are very significant as well. Mm. Um, so there's, uh, yeah, the, it, it, it distresses me, Rob, that, that these sort of, the idea, if we just say we can get 100%, then let's do it. 
ignores an awful lot of the laws of yeah. physics, let alone the mm. laws of politics and economics. And, right. Which is not to say we shouldn't be doing an awful lot more. I think we should and we could, could be doing an awful lot more. But it's also wrong to say we're not doing anything as well. So you're right, Malcolm. I mean, it's a very nuanced conversation we need to have rather than, you know, you're either pro or against it, you know? Well, I think we need to reintroduce the idea that not everything is black and white. Yeah. And not everything is, is, is simplistic. And unfortunately, I think political debate around a number of issues... Are, not to mention the B word, is, has got us into that position. You I have think to it either has. Be, you I have think to either has. be on one side or the other, and anybody who suggests, well, actually, there's a bit of this and mm. a bit of that, mm. tends to just get distrusted by both sides and shouted down roundly. And, yeah, I know. And unfortunately, that's the same in energy and environment as it is in other areas. Well, let's see if you and I can fix that, Malcolm. It's very, very good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Malcolm Grimston, finally, a voice of reason in the argument. Just what we need. Honorary Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Energy Policy and Technology at Imperial College in London. What do you make of that? 0344-499-1000. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344-499-1000. We'll take loads of your calls between now uh, and one o'clock when Matthew Wright is here, of course. Talk Crick says, Mike, fracking is the most expensive way to create energy. It's the most toxic as well. The drilling companies get rich, but the environment and taxpayers are left with the damage. Are you sure about that, mate? I think you should really look into some of the other forms of energy. For example, coal. For example, oil. Uh, For example, natural gas and see what damage that does to the environment as well. I'm not going to sit here and do the climate change protesters' job for them, uh, but I think you'll find, actually, that there are people in the energy business who say fracking is absolutely fine and is absolutely the cleanest form of energy you can get. But there we are. What do I know? Uh, Let's talk instead now about uh, a government which is paralysed into doing absolutely nothing, so much so now uh, that it turns out Theresa May, the Prime Minister, uh, is now going to filibuster her way through the entire summer because she's terrified of delaying uh, or changing the uh, parliamentary session uh, because she's worried if she introduces a Queen's speech which does not uh, pass, she will be out of a job. Joe Twyman's here, founder of Delta Poll. Joe, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us once again in the studio. I mean, it does now look as though um, the paralysis that we kind of knew was, was gripping everybody in Westminster has now been officially kind of designated as paralysis. Yes, and the end result of this is that loads of very small things <laughs> might happen. It's, yes. it's a truly bizarre situation. We could have, we could have legislation passed on the tax status of testimonial sporting events right we could have new rules on animal cruelty yeah uh, all rush through the commons in a very slow manner mm. maybe to, i mean maybe what we should time. do is invite people to actually suggest to their local mps now here's a bill you could introduce just to keep it all going for a while at least we could get what we want done that has been done in the past mm. and usually the death penalty comes out top. <laughs> <laughs> well whenever they do a poll on the death penalty you always get people wanting it but then presumably when uh, it goes to parliament parliament the remainder parliament as we call it uh, turns it down anyway uh, well uh, we could talk about this uh, this all day but yeah that's the basic uh, that's basic situation yeah right it's, now uh, we are so, so so we've all and we've also got to look forward to wednesday when uh, when the labor party and rebecca long bailey decided to declare a climate emergency apparently we i didn't know the labor party thought there was a climate emergency until the weekend uh, well, certainly there now is I'm, I'm not quite sure what recent development has uh, has occurred to now warrant an emergency yeah. that wasn't in place before but right. uh, but yes we have uh, we have that uh, the timing seems odd uh, the 
I imagine a lot of people within Labour and indeed within Parliament more generally could think of more they'd like to hear from Labour on other subjects, yeah. specifically uh, specifically Europe. But uh, but instead it looks like Wednesday's the day for the environment instead. Yes, well, we've got lots of things going on this month, haven't we? We've now got two elections, very very likely anyway, although technically speaking the European election might still not happen. Yeah, that's right. The European election technically could be cancelled right up until the last minute. Mm. Indeed, over the weekend, Brandon Lewis, the chairman of the Conservatives, said that uh, the party was not looking to campaign for the European elections because they were hoping to get the Brexit bill through Parliament. Now, yeah. I'm not sure how much of that is posturing and positioning and how much of it is simply, uh, shall we say, uh, sub-truth. Uh, but it must be very difficult for all the parties who are, who are actually campaigning or attempting to campaign, who are collecting money and trying to get donations in a normal way and knocking on people's doors. All of that's going on. But I don't know. I mean, nobody's knocked on my door, so I haven't had a conversation with anyone. But presumably part of that conversation is, well, of course, uh, you know, we'd like to get your vote, but you might not get the opportunity to do it. Uh, Yeah, it's a really it's a really weird situation for the two main parties, not just logistically in the way that you're talking about, but also in terms of the the policies. Mm. Uh, If you're the Conservatives, what on earth do you campaign on on the European uh, the European election? If you're the Labour Party, uh, you go in and say, okay, well, we'll we'll do things and have yes thoughts. That's not. That's not really. That's get, about it. Really, that's, isn't that's it? not a great platform. And mm. then that. So what that leaves you with are the parties that are, that are very clear on their Brexit position, and a lot of attention has been paid to the to the Brexit party, yeah. but also to Change UK yeah. on the other side, and the Greens and the and the Greens as well. Right. But none of those parties have the resources to launch a really national campaign. Mm. So instead, what they will do, and they're not standing absolutely everywhere. Are they? No, no, uh, uh, they're not. And so what they will do is target uh, the areas that they think are most important for them so mm. if you live in an area that is uh, that is particularly leaning one way or the other yeah. you probably won't get someone uh, someone turning up right but uh, but it, the other thing is it remains to be seen and, and before that we have the local elections mm. on thursday well this is it and i mean everything that you you read about the local elections is that this is not going to be very good news for the government basically uh no it's 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 a really weird situation because because we have the european elections we think coming all the attention has been placed on that as i say a lot of attention on brexit party a lot of attention on Change UK. Neither of those parties are running in the mm. local elections. Yeah. Uh, instead, uh, as many of your listeners will know, we have these local elections every year, but in different parts of the country every year. And this particular configuration of councils really favours the Conservatives. Yeah. They hold uh, just over 4,500 seats. Uh, and the estimate is uh, f- that they may lose up to 800, perhaps even 1,000 Which sounds like a lot seats, to me. Which is a lot. That would be their worst performance mm. in local elections since 1995 wow. when they were really in the, really in the doldrums. Mm. And, uh, and so and how that was they... in the sort of fading days of Major's government, I guess. Yeah, right? exactly. That, yeah. Was, that was in that sort of lame duck mm. parliament where, yeah. uh, where Tony Blair had just, uh, had just become leader. New yeah. Labour was very much in the ascendancy yeah. and the Conservatives couldn't, uh, couldn't buy a good news story. Yeah. <laughs> much, much indeed, you could argue, like... Uh, like today and so the conservatives have got to go out there firstly they need activists mm. to go out and knock on the doors and yeah. the activists particularly on the conservative side are particularly nonplussed with what's going on right. in brexit and then uh, they've got to compete in these council elections and it could be it could be a real battering for them and is it easy to see who benefits from from people either not for i mean there used to be in my days of studying uh, voting patterns many many moons ago uh, when i actually did a bit of cephology in my spare time uh, it was all about tories who would never protest vote particularly anything other than Lib Dem 
Labour Party members who would never protest vote at all. They would just not vote. So is that still kind of roughly the case? Yeah, the important dimension with these elections is who turns out. Yeah. Uh, because obviously who people are voting for is one dimension of this, but whether they choose to vote is another. Because someone has to win these uh, mm. <laughs> these seats. And so if a lot of the Conservatives choose not to vote, yeah. uh, then that could leave the door open for the Lib Dems and uh, and particularly the Greens, or maybe UKIP, yeah. which is uh, which is hoping to, to get a boost from these local elections where they are standing, I yes. think, 70-odd percent of seats, right. and use that then as, uh, as momentum leading into the Europeans. And presumably because we've had this in the past, it's not always easy to get initial sub, uh, sort of results as it is an, a during a general election. Council elections sometimes don't count until later on. So will we get a good idea on Friday morning or will it take longer before uh, we know? It'll take a bit longer. And then we'll also, because the, the seats that are running are not representative of the nation as a whole, we then have to do uh, a lot of calculations work out okay what would this mean if it was a national right. picture so usually around about the weekend is when we'd start to get a sense of what that would mean yeah were there actually a general election now obviously it's different issues and things like that but right. it does make a difference because there have been lots of people talking to us over the course of the last few weeks and months even saying you know we're never voting again because of what happened with the brexit referendum you know we've lost all faith in all politicians and all political structures and therefore we will not bother doing it again i hope that's not what's going to happen but do you, do you see any evidence of that one way or the other? Well, local elections are always lower, uh, always see lower turnouts. Mm. Um, and it's worth, it's worth pointing out, there are, good, there are nearly 2,000 completely independent councillors yeah. up and down the country. And it may be that this election is the election of the, of the true independence yeah. and these, uh, these hyper-local issues that, mm. uh, that come forward. And if that happens, it, we could see uh, an increase in turnout as people uh, measure their dissatisfaction by, yeah. uh, by turning out and voting for these true independents but i think the more likely option is that people will just uh, will just sit on their hands disgusted at how everything has uh, how everything has gone and and the dreaded question which i hear on every other radio program so i always promise not to ask it so i'm not going to ask it quite in the same way um does this damage theresa may more if it's a bad result for the tories if it's as you say some uh, some of you are predicting um you know a thousand type loss is that something that could change the ball game for her, I suppose. I think a lot of it comes down to the degree of defeat. Yeah. Everyone's expecting them to lose seats. Mm. That's guaranteed. Uh, a loss of 800 would be bad news, but it wouldn't be terrible. Mm. Psychologically, a loss of more than 1,000. Yes. That's really, really bad mm. news. But it, the question still remains, if not her... Who? Yes. And what's the mechanism for getting rid of her? Yes. Uh, because there, uh, there's still this, uh, there's still this year-long period where she can't be. And changed. they had a go at, con- at, at sort of con- conversing about that and couldn't come up with a plan to, to change the rules, could they? The yeah. And part of week? part of the reason they couldn't come up with an alternative is because there wasn't someone coming forward with an alternative, both on that and on Brexit as well. And mm. so, would the situ- the questions the Conservatives have to ask themselves, particularly in the run-up to the European elections, is would the situation be changed? substantially if someone or indeed anyone else was in charge and I think longer term the answer is probably not Mm. at least as things stand at the moment okay well I presume it'll be a bit of a sleepless night for you on Thursday so uh, can't wait you might you might need to start storing it up between now and then Joe I'm sure we'll talk possibly on Friday Joe Twyman there founder of Delta Poll uh, on the upcoming elections on Thursday of course the local ones and the possibility uh, of May the 23rd elections for uh, the European elections if in fact that happens the human zoo where they don't hide away the sick animals the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham, 03444991000. It's great, isn't it? Monday is a very happy Monday for us today because, once again, uh, the government is doing absolutely nothing about anything at all. And finally, they've admitted it. So now we can all move on uh, and get on with the rest of our lives. Basically, Brexit's never going to happen because they don't know how to make it work. They're never going to do anything else. Theresa May's just going to stay in power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Let's see whether there's any change. Uh, in the countdown clock for when Brexit isn't going to happen. We'll check in with it. We haven't heard it for a while. What's going on? <sighs> I don't think there's anything happening. It seems to be stuck in a rut. Well, never mind. Uh, we'll come back to that later on. Let's talk to Hazel, who's in East Lee uh, in Hampshire. Hello, Hazel. Hello, Mike. How very, are you? I'm very well. Very good afternoon. I'm feeling rather, I don't know, chipper today for some reason. Oh, good. Yeah, That's all right, you. then. Yeah, I think it's I think it's because the government's finally admitted that they're not going to do anything. And so now I feel as if my job is done. Well, they could have said that ages ago, couldn't they? <laughs> they could have done. They should have <laughs> done, really. Trouble, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Thanks, anyway. <laughs> yes, uh, what, what do you want to tell us about fracking? Well, it was about the fracking, really. I, I saw a piece on the telly quite a while ago now mm. about how they actually do it. Yeah. And they use huge amounts of water. They do. Which they add chemicals to that. Yes. And then pump it deep into the ground. At high speed. So that water, yeah, and it's, it's lost to us then, you know. And, and if we did retrieve it, it would be polluted. But we're short of water. It's another resource that we are desperately short of. Yeah, but in see, this I, I don't understand why we're short of water, Hazel, because we live on an island which is surrounded by water, right? The whole globe right. is dominated by water, and yet yeah. we're not somehow desalinating it and making it drinkable, usable, um, and, and it falls from the sky. I don't, you know, I don't understand why we're short of it. Well, I don't either. I mean, look at last summer, a couple of weeks of boiling hot weather, yeah. and the entire country was parched. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. these reservoirs drying up and all that. But if these fracking companies are going to take a whole load of that, that will cause a shortage as well, won't well, it? I, well, I don't think they're going to use that much of it. I mean, I'm slightly more concerned about them firing it at high speed into rocks underneath the ground and into cracks yeah. in, in the earth, which doesn't That's sound right. like a great idea to me. But the people who know about these things, Hazel, say um, that it's no more dangerous than lots of other things that we do underground, like mining for coal and occasionally exploding nuclear bombs, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes I mean, it all right. Well, then. exactly. I think we can worry an awful lot about stuff, and I think we worry too much. You know, I think we should be yeah. better. I think we should be better at keeping the water that falls on the ground. I think we, you know, yeah. if you've got, for example, um, the water companies in this country losing billions and billions of liters every day because they've got holes yeah. in their pipes. You know, why can't they fix those? It means digging up all the roads. Yeah, well, they already do that. <laughs> You know, I mean, tell me something I don't know. I'm sorry to sound negative, Hazel, but you know what I mean? I, I think it's a great yeah. call. I thank you very much for it. Let's talk to Ricky, uh, who's in Glasgow. Hello, Ricky. Hello, mate. Hello. You finished turning up the girls. The subject Listen, of, I know um... there's no need for sexism on this show. Oh, sorry. This show is open to everyone here, you know. Oh, my God. I do apologise. Thank you very much so, indeed. So guilty. Good. The pastor, obviously. So, as I was saying, you're talking about the motor car and the pollution, etc. Yes. I mean, you've got the likes of yourself driving two and a half ton motor car along the. I don't know how much with... my car weighs. I think it's actually made of quite a light plastics. I don't think it's that heavy, to be honest. Oh, plastics! Oh, oh. anyway, you've all these big cars yeah. playing, playing along the road. Why do we not revert back to the Fiat Five Hundred 
Um, well, they've, they've re-released the Fiat 500. You can buy one if you want. No, no, they haven't. I'm talking about the original one. Yeah, the little one, yeah. Yeah, five, it really is 500cc. Yeah. I had three of them. They're excellent. Why did you have and three? Have eight, huh? Why did you have three? Well, one after the other. One for each personality. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hey, I couldn't resist. Hey, hey, I'm the customer. Yeah, yeah all right, go on. Here. Carry on. So you're getting about... Uh, at least 70 or 80, 80 to 90 miles to the gallon. Yeah. Uh, a four-seater, which could easily uh, tow. Well, a, a you wouldn't small... you wouldn't get four people my size in it. You might get four people your size in it. Well, you're causing pollution if you're overweight. So yeah, I well, I can't help that. Weight. I can't help ah. that. I spend a lot. Of, I pay a lot of taxes, Ricky. Well, I eat them, do you? Okay, but you get my point. I do. The time we just came. Never mind. Have the big flashy car. Okay. The whole 500 wasn't. I admit. Um, shall we say a macho image, right? Yes. But uh, it did the job and did it well. No, listen, and I think you're absolutely right. I think you've, there's merit in what you say, Ricky. I'm going to leave it there because I've got lots more to do. Thank you very much indeed. Ricky's right. I mean, we don't need to have such big cars. Smaller cars would be better. Um, and we don't need to have so many of them. That's true. But there are many things we can do and many things we already do. Um, and I'm going to end now on a very, very nice, upbeat story because it's not very often the news is good. But we're going to speak down to Mike Smith, who's the vicar of St. John's in Hartford, who's come up with some great ideas up in Cheshire uh, to launch a grand wedding plan. Mike, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. Good it's, to be on. A, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to somebody who has been responsible for generating some good news. Um, you are you are tasked, I'm, I see, for with, with saving um, a lovely kind of mar- a lovely couple who couldn't afford to pay a big amount of money, like thirty thousand quid, for a wedding. You've come up with a plan uh, which can make it a lot cheaper. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Well, we um, uh, just over the years, uh, I found that people were were getting really stressed about the amount of money that it was costing to get married. We were having people who were cancelling weddings because of the cost. Yeah. So we we uh, we put together a team of volunteers and we said we'll do it ourselves. So for a thousand pounds, you get a church wedding cake, photographs, stationery, flowers, and a reception for thirty guests, uh, all served by volunteers from within the church community. That's brilliant. So how does it physically work? I mean, because somebody has to cook the food, somebody has to buy the food, presumably. I mean, how does that all work? Yeah, well, actually, the biggest part of the £1,000, about two-thirds of that, goes to pay uh, a local catering firm that we've got a good relationship with in okay. our, our church centre here. So um, so that's the only uh, sort of professional part that we do get in, uh, the, the food. OK, so you get a car provided, you get sort of a photographer to come along and volunteer. It's a, it's a, lov- it's a, lo- it's a lovely idea. People say that, you know, we don't have communities anymore in this country, but this would, this would suggest the contrary. Yeah, and I have to say, there's, um, to see the look on the couple's face on Saturday, it was the first one of our grand weddings, and they had a wonderful day. And it was, it was great for the team as well. Yes, so, um, you know, and it's Beth and... Their day jobs today, but, yeah. Absolutely. Beth and Lee Southern. Do you get any sort of, um, I don't know whether I, I, I would use the, the, the phrase sort of blowback from people who are paying through the nose to get, to get you to marry them, and then they see that, you know, coming up next, it's the people who are getting it all for free. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I, it does cost a lot to get married, and I, um, I can only say that the couples we've booked in, I, I, they probably just wouldn't have got married because uh, of the sheer cost of it. Mm. And if you can afford it, that's fine. You know, you can book a normal church wedding, and uh, we'll charge you for all the usual things. But um, you know, for people who want to get married but haven't got the cash. We don't want them to miss no. out. And so, I, I don't know if this was the first one you've done. I get a sense it's not. It how, was. How, it was. It was it the was, first. It was, oh, okay. It was the first. It was the first grand wedding. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And so, I mean, as a result of this, and there's been a bit of publicity around it. Have other people come come to you and said we'd like some of that as well? 
Yeah, we've had uh, dozens and dozens of couples wow. apply. And uh, uh, because in the Church of England, you have to have a qualifying connection to get married in a parish. Most of those were from out of the area, so we couldn't help them. But okay. I'm encouraging other clergy to do this in their own churches as well. And uh, we've got some other churches that are interested in doing something similar. Yeah. And were there, I mean, was it was it a normal kind of wedding in the sense that most of the guests were all part of the family, the people that would otherwise have come? It's not sort of filled with, with people from the church, as it were. No, it was just a normal wedding service. Uh, it was actually the first wedding that our curate did, Alec. So um, that was a day of firsts, really, for us. On right. Sunday. Oh, it's a, well, it's a lovely idea, and I'm sure I'm sure that it must be something that can spread to other other places. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether churches make a lot of money from weddings. I used to be an altar boy, believe it or not, many moons ago, right. and I used yeah. to I used to stand at the back, particularly in the part of London where I was. There was a lot of American weddings, and they used to hand me loads mm. of money. Um, and it, so the church actually did quite well financially out of weddings. Do you do you do you sort of lose out if you start giving it away, as it were? Well, I mean, we we don't make a lot of money out of uh, weddings here, and uh, so we're not we're not losing much in terms of our overall income uh, as a church. What I'd love the Church of England to do, um, if I had the authority there, is to um, to say let's not charge for weddings at all. Let's yes. encourage people to make a donation, you know, because look, marriage is a great gift. Why are we trying to um, charge money for it? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, what a what a very refreshing uh, sense uh, sense of, uh, of of sort of community that you've got. Well, Mike, so so um, if anybody does want to get in touch with you, um, obviously they can find you in in the church St John's Hartford. But if they are in the absolutely. in the Nantwich part of uh, Cheshire, uh, is there a, a, do you have websites in the church? I'm sorry yep. to. Uh, to ask us an ignorant question. St John's Hartford or stjohnshartford.org that will get you through to our website and you can contact me that way. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, tremendous. Well, Mike, thank you very much indeed and it's a lovely thing you've done and and, uh, look forward to uh, to you doing it some more. Vicar of St John's Hartford, Mike Smith. What a lovely uh, idea that is to actually say, you know what? If we want people to get married more, then one of the things you could do is actually reduce the cost of it which is not a bad idea as well. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 